0: Uh, I, uh, as you uh, fill out for your uh, prayer group, or if you haven't done that yet, uh, or if you have done it yet, go back sometime this morning, put your phone number on it. Uh, that's the only way they can contact you to let you know information. And so if you uh, would do that, I forgot to tell you to do that this morning, that would, that would help us out. Now last week, <clears throat> we got into chapter 30, and we talked about the first six uh, verses of Proverbs chapter 30, verses 1 through 6. And uh, we, you know, we saw, again, another reference to uh, the two men that are predominant uh, throughout the book of Proverbs. The whole book of Proverbs is written about two different kinds of men. One is a wise man who gets the understanding of God. The other one is a foolish man who uh, cannot be uh, taught anything. And in particular, last week, we saw verses 1 through 6, talked about a fool, and defined for us, you know, uh, who was defined for us in Proverbs in eight different verses, clearly deleting or showing you uh, what a fool is from God's standpoint. And we come away last week with knowing that this guy was a man completely void of, of any spirituality whatsoever. You know, the Bible calls people like this, men and women, it calls them a natural man. First uh, Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. And it says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And uh, that's that's the kind of guy we talked about last week. No understanding, no real truth, and no ability to see the hand of God in anything. Therefore, uh, usually in life, with their families and everything that they do, they really don't have a, a very good value system. And as last week, you know, unfortunately, we it's not just true of an unsaved man, but it's also true of saved people who get to the point where they don't get into the Bible either. You know, if you're saved, and I always give people the first five years of their salvation just to figure things out. Uh, but, you know, if you've been saved 10 years or more and you don't have a good handle on the Bible, there's something fundamentally wrong someplace in, in, your, in your process. And, you know, uh, the, the Bible throughout history... And and I love history. Uh, When I was in high school, I wasn't a very good student, but two things that I really uh, liked was history and, you know, in in English class. And we've talked about that before. But history always just really intrigued me. Uh, I I have spent most of my adult life uh, from that point on investigating history. History to me is the key to the future because the great biblical principle is that history always repeats itself. And the men—the only thing that men never learn from history is the fact they never learn anything from history. So I saw immediately the importance of being able to see uh, and understand the historical aspect of things. You know, I wasn't just, I wasn't just interested in, in, you know, America, but around the world what happened. And I came to the conclusion a number of years ago, and it just fueled my, my, my ability to try to learn more, but i i I began to see how that all through history, the Bible has been the key to every development that man has ever achieved and and we don 't get that when we look at <coughs> hear things on the news and all those stuff uh, we don 't get that even in in school, whether it 's college and and honestly, most Bible colleges <coughs> won 't teach you that, and it 's certainly <coughs> not taught in most of the churches today and simply because. These guys just, they never go there. They never understand the depth of that Bible. You know, we talk about the Bible being God's word. That's such a term that we use. But if it really believe it's God's word to us, then it ought to be worthy of us investing the rest of our lives figuring out what God's saying to us. I mean, you know, if God actually, he wouldn't do this, but if God came down and spoke to someone like he did with Moses and met before them and told them all those things, that person would be going around the world telling everybody what God told them. Now, he's not going to do that, but he doesn't need to do that because he's given you a more sure word of prophecy. And you have everything that, that God is. And it... When I saw that, I began to understand a little bit better man's inability to see the hand of God, you know, that uh, all through uh, man's time uh, on this earth. And this is a great truth that's lost today in in just about every aspect of not only the world, but certainly in, in Christianity. You know, I, I I've watched the development of a Bible. And you know here... You know, we, we take a stand on the King James sixteen eleven authorized version as the absolute perfect Word of God. And we there's a reason for that. And if you don't or you have another Bible that you use, it's okay. It, you know, nobody's going to, uh, you know, grab it from you or beat you over the head with it. I, you, you take your time. But this is where my, my stand on that is for a reason. And everything I try to do when I teach you the Bible is to give you all the information. But, you know... You see the importance of the Bible going back to the development of, of, of the European continent. It's incredible. You know, the nations that embraced God's word versus the ones who did not. And you know, when you go back and you look at the history of Europe, Europe pretty much is in the dark ages for a thousand years from 500 to 1500. And it's, uh, you know, the dark ages aren't called the dark ages for anything. It's because it's a time when Europe was in an incredibly bad situation. And the Roman Catholic Church, obviously, had had taken over Europe and, you know, suppressed everybody and, and told everybody that, you know, that the life that they were having in Europe was the best life of any place on the planet. And that's not true. Once the Crusades happened... And a lot of the people went to the other countries to fight in the crusade. They saw that wasn't true. And, but for a thousand years, Europe was stillborn. It was an absolute mess of poverty and disease. And, and it was the rich class living over the, over the, the common man. It was the feudal system. It was that if you were a lord or born into lordy of any country, and you were a guy on the bottom, that's where you stayed. There was no moving up the ladder. It was a terrible situation. But then we began to see, around fourteen fifteen hundred, the light started coming on in Europe. It, it's so prominent in history in in secular schools and secular thought of Europe during this period of time. It's called the. It's called the. The Renaissance period, and the word Renaissance means rebirth of knowledge. And we see when the every year up here in uh, uh, one places in Kansas they have the Renaissance festival, and people dress up like the period of time. And I went one time, and I just went for that big turkey leg, man. That's good. Yeah, we're talking about it. But people dress up. You have lords and ladies. They do fake jousting and sword fights and. You know all that goofy stuff that they they did. You know, it, you know. But 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 the Renaissance was a great advancement in European thinking and the things that they did, a cultural advancement in Europe that changed the whole face of Europe. And the reason for that, and they'll never get this. The reason for that is by 1392, Wycliffe had begun to translate the Bible into English that was going to, uh, in time, move into Tyndale's in 1522, and then Coverdale's in 1537, Matthew Henry's in 1537, Coverdale's Great Bible, 1539, the Geneva Bible, and then formulates finally into the King James 1611 in 1603, which is finally finished seven years later in 1611. It was during this time period that the Bible was now being accepted in Europe. The Catholic Church got its back broken because along with the Renaissance period came the Reformation. Martin Luther broke with the church in Germany. Zwingli and uh, Calvin broke with them in, in Switzerland, and in Scotland. And all across Europe, the lights were coming on. But the lights were coming on because the darkness had taken away and now the Bible was beginning to be established. In Europe. And the lights came on, and the greatest period of time in the history of man's advancement took place. Not because of of the idea that, that man just woke up one morning and decided, let's make something new. It was because at the entrance of thy word, the Bible says, Give it light. And the lights began to come on in the in Europe, and you see it. You see in the hand of God in everything. Back in 1500, there was two great seafaring nations. One of them was Spain, Roman Catholic, and of course the other one was England, uh, which was basically uh, uh, Bible believers, Protestants, if you want to use the term. And it's a thing where uh, England had just thrown off the Roman Catholic Church got rid of Bloody Mary. Elizabeth now is on the throne and she's pro-King James Bible, pro-Reformation and and England now has taken the Bible that you're holding in your lap around the world and the devil didn't like that so he brought his nation, Spain. And under Spain, he's going to come down and he's going to bring England back under a, a Roman Catholic rule. So Philip of Spain sends a great Spanish armada over to England to try to, 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 to defeat them. And England doesn't have a navy. She doesn't have anywhere compared to what Spain has. But that's okay if you study history. You know why? Because she had a Bible. And in 1588, as the big Spanish armada sailed into uh, the, uh, coming into England in the English Channel, God whipped up a typhoon and sank the whole Spanish fleet. It's incredible what you learn in history. Uh, we, we see God's hand in, this, in the discovery and the relevance of America, in the development of America. Every October 12th, we celebrate Columbus Day. Columbus Day is pretty much a joke. Columbus never set foot in America. A, a better thing would be Vikings Day. They were here long before Columbus ever showed up. There's a bill in Congress right now in the Senate to get rid of Columbus Day and rename that day after Mother Cabarina, who is a Roman Catholic nun who started the Queen of Heaven orphanage in Denver, and they want to replace him with her, which that's just the way it'd go. But in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue and wound up discovering America, as we are told. And, of course, who sees the hand of God in that? First of all, he never touched American shore. He landed in a little Bahama, Bahama Banana Bahama Republic down there in, uh, off the Bahama Islands. But it's an interesting thing because when you look at the hand of God in the scheme of things with God, we begin to see that God had a purpose for America. He was going to save America for the, the pilgrims when they came over and establish this country away from Europe away from the church state religions where a man could teach the Bible and preach the Bible and teach his family without somebody knocking his door down at 3 o'clock in the morning. He was saving America for that. But, oh, Ferdinand of Spain, here again. The Roman Catholic Church wanted to, wanted to control everything in the known world. So all of the great explorers are Roman Catholic. And he sends, at, with Isabel, his wife, she liked him, and she said, give him a ship and give him the provisions, and he goes, and he goes. And if you study his life, it's an interesting thing. He's sailing and sailing and sailing, and the crew is close to mutiny. They've got a water, they're out of food, they're in bad shape. And he's about ready to, to lose his whole thing. And then he sees, on one morning, he sees some land birds Land-based birds flying in that direction, and he sets case and follows them. And you know what? If you look at the course that he was on, he would have hit America in just about a week. But God sent those birds and sent him down into Central and South America, and everywhere he landed from that point on became Roman Catholic. God preserved America. Incredible. It's incredible. Incredible. God saved America for what He wanted to do, and, and and people cannot see the hand of God in any of that. We we see it in the development of music in Europe. You know, from eleven hundred to fourteen hundred, music was basically non-existent. It was called the Baruch period, and it's where music really found its fundamentals—the harmonics and everything that was going on. But there's no great composers during that time. No, no, no. It's not till we get into the fifteen hundreds to the 1700s when the King James Bible is being laid out across the world that music in Europe is so influenced by everything that's happening on, it's called the golden age of music, the classical period. Guys like Bach and guys like Handel and guys like Haydn Haydn and Mozart and it's all of their songs, all all of their music is man expressing his love for God. Why? Because the Bible's now hit Europe. Reformation has taken place. The Renaissance period is now in full swing. And boy, the influence of that Bible across a nation, across the continent was unbelievable. And people look at that and can't even see the hand of God in it if they even think God had a hand in it. And the moment we move into the 1700s and past that into the 1900s, we move into what is called the Romantic period. (coughs) And it's during this time in Europe that the Bible begins to lose its influence. And now the great mind of the German rationalists, the great humanist minds began to Kant and Stegel and all those guys began to come up in Europe. And the Bible begins to lose its power in nations. <coughs> so we see now called the Romantic period and all the music that's written during this time will be guys <coughs> you know, like Beethoven and Schubert and Chopin, and Mendelssohn. And now they're focusing focusing not on man's love for God, but man's love for himself. And it just goes downhill from there. (coughs) Excuse me a minute. Thank you. We can talk back and forth. (coughs) And then it just goes downhill. The farther we get away from the Bible, the worse music gets. Then we move into what is called <coughs> the natural period, which moves into the natural period, the modern period, moved into the natural and now we see man feeding his sexual spiritual side to himself, the fleshly side and this leads to the complete mute breakdown of music. You can watch as 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 the spirit toward the Word of God in Europe and in America is at its best, <coughs> everything is at its best. And as it declines, everything goes. Now during the natural period, it, it's a complete breakdown. Now all the songs have animal names. Now you do the foxtrot, the, the, the bunny hug, or bunny hop. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> now even the musical groups all take names. Now you got the bats, the buzzards, and the beetles. You got three dog night. Where do these names come from? They come from a natural man and his natural spirit that has rejected the word of God. And when the word of God impact is out of a country, you're in trouble. It ends with where we're at today. The satanic groups who actually kill animals on stage. I mean, I mean, it's unbelievable. Uh, Used to have a guy. uh, I I don't know where he's. Remember a guy by the name of Gallagher that used to kill fruit? Thousands of people would pay to go fill up an auditorium, and this guy'd get up here and with a big sledgehammer and crush melons and and, and beat them. And, and people in the front row would have to wear raincoats, and they would just love getting splattered all over with fruit. One time in Wichita, Kansas, this is years ago. You know, Wichita, Kansas, the town too tough to die. Anyway, I was there, and they had this. They had me down to preach at a big youth day. And they had an amusement park down there, um, and I don't remember the name of it, but it was they must have had what was it? What was it? Yeah, that's it. And, and they must have had 500 kids there from all these churches. And I'm getting ready to preach. And I you know, and I'm, I'm already tired and cranky because I've been waiting all day to do this, and they're out there just dinking around doing all kinds of stuff. And so I'm ready to preach, and now they bring on this guy who's another youth pastor, and he's going to kill fruit like Gallinger does. And I'm sitting there. i got to preach, and these guys up there, and the kids are screaming and they're yelling, and he's smashing cantaloupes and smashing this, and it's splashing all over everybody. And everybody in that place is going nuts. And then when he's done, I mean, try to preach after that mass. When he's done, now Brother Bob's going to come, and he's going to preach to you. I, I, honest, this is what I did. I came up and I said, you know what? I said, I just stood here for, no, no offense, brother, but I just stood here for the last 30 minutes of watching you guys just get all excited and scream and yell over somebody smashing fruit. Let's see how excited you're going to get now that I'm going to open up the living word of the living God and preach to you. And I said, you know what? 500 years ago, they were doing that kind of stuff to Christians. We're more sophisticated now. We just do it the fruit and vegetables. Do it the fruits and vegetables. So I would up your Bible, and I said, I want to hear some excitement. There's no excitement. Nobody cares about the Bible today. It, it's just that simple. And, you know, you see it in, in art. You know, Leonardo da Vinci and, and Van Gogh and Picasso. You know, there's a great, uh, the Mona Lisa, the Mona Lisa just, was valued at $100 million. That is the stupidest picture you ever saw in your life. You know how many Jeeps you could buy for $100 million? It's nuts, but you know who sets the value on those things. First of all, you know, the the, the moral condition of any society. You ain't going to believe this just in time for my message. I was watching the news this week, and you know, Channel 9 goes and interviews different places. They had an art institute down there in town now that's having a, what they call queer art. No, 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 that ain't homosexual queer art. That's, that'll be next week. No, it was just art that looks absolutely ridiculously stupid. It was artwork that you look at and you think, what is that? I mean, I mean I've mean, i seen better things on the sidewalk when a guy drunk all night and pooped on the street. Are you kidding me? And it's the goofiest stuff in me, and it's called queer art because it's queer in that sense. Don't, don't read into that. It's, it's queer in that sense. And, you know, and it's, it's crazy. I mean, you look at and And the second thing is, it's, is the fact that the Vatican art critics is the one who really set the standard for what things are worth. And their artwork by Michelangelo or Van Gogh, Picasso, all the Catholic guys, well, you know, they all painted uh, in, in, in essence of the Catholic Church. So it's always going to be valued at that. And then you got a guy like Norman Rockwell from 1984 to 19, who painted some of the greatest pictures of family values, and nobody cares about them. Hey, everything in history, whether rise or fall, be good or bad, based on the country's attitude and their spirit toward the prevailing spirit of the time. You see it, two prime examples is the United States and England. Uh, God's hand in, 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 in having the favor of God and then how they lost the favor of God. I'll come back to the Word of God. Now, the natural man cannot see that. The, you know, the, so he falls victim to the natural laws of sin and corruption. You know, in science, I mean, they can't get it either. You know, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20 says, Science falsely so called. There's a true science and then there's a false science. And your science can't get it. I mean, they just can't. You know, evolution is the biggest baloney cut off that you ever made a sandwich out of. Uh, there isn't a, there, if you got the facts down and pinned a scientist down, every scientist on this planet believes the first and second law of thermodynamics. The first law of thermodynamics is matter can never be created nor destroyed. So there goes, you know, there goes evolution out the window. The second one is that the law of entropy, that things left to a random state don't run up, they run down. The whole universe is not evolving up, it's evolving down. Hey, you, some of you people just bought houses. Ten years from now, I'm going to see if your house is in better condition than it was when you bought it. Some of you buy a car, brand new car. And you come up here and you're happy about it. I am too. Hope you don't wreck this one. <laughs> but you know what? The minute you drive it off the lot, it's worth less money. You know why? It's the law of second law thermodynamics things don't run up they run down everything in this world everything in the universe but you know what the old now i don't know if you know this or not but i i i was used to speak at colleges you know years ago and doing my gospel in the star thing and i always i started out by this you know what I know what your professor teaches you and I know what the school says and they're kind enough to invite me in and obviously I'm on the other side. I believe the Bible and God. And I said, but I want you to know something. Just keep this in mind no matter who says what. We only got here by one of four ways. We either either came from nothing, which is against the first law of thermodynamics and second law, or we came from here with something that was already here, which is against the second law of thermodynamics, Or the third alternative is, God did it. Or the fourth one is, it ain't really here. and You just think it is. But there's only four ways. But you see, when God has to be the absolute alternative, even the men who believe in the laws of science, which are fixed laws, will violate their own scientific principles because they don't want to trust the Bible and God. That's that's human nature. That's the natural man. That's the way it works. That's exactly how it works. Now, this is the state of the human race that we all are dealing with. And all men try to do is Proverbs 19, 21 last week, there's many devices in a man's heart. They keep coming up with ways to get around the Bible when they don't understand because they have no spiritual discernment that all down through the history of of Europe and the history of the world in the Old Testament, Israel, every nation that ever survived, every nation ever prospered is a nation that had the spirit toward the Word of God that was the right spirit. And when they lost it, where are they today? Where are the Babylonians? Where are the Persians? Where are the Greeks? Where are those great nations in the times of the Gentiles that ran the world but hated God? Where are they today? Now, let me tell you something. One of the greatest, truest lessons in life. In the Bible, there are seven absolute fundamental laws that this world runs by. Seven absolute laws. One of those laws is the law of human collapse. You find it illustrated in the book of Judges in chapter 21, verse 25, The book of Judges runs a course of about 225 years. Five times in those 225 years, God has to come down and inject himself into the nation of Israel to keep them from going any farther down into apostasy. And the law of human collapse is simply this, folks. If God does not keep injecting himself, and I like the word injecting. You know why? Because we all need a good injection because we got a disease, And that disease is terminal. And it's going to kill us all and put us in hell if you don't get saved. After you get saved, the Bible says you still have three infirmities and you need an injection daily, hourly, minutely, whatever the case may be. So I like the word injection. And it's a thing where if God does not keep injecting himself into you and me, into Christianity, into nations... That law of human collapse takes over and they go into apostasy. And the end result is Judges 21-25. There was no king in Israel and every man did what was right in his own eyes. You see it. Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. God had a plan. God put that plan together. It was a beautiful plan. It was a perfect plan. It was a plan without any flaws. And in chapter 3, man messes it up. Man completely scraps it. He completely puts it on the junk pile. And you know what? Now man enters into that downward spiral because of the law of human collapse. And you know what God did? God injected himself back into man in a guy named Noah. And a little bit later on, a guy by the name of Abraham. And then as time went on, God brought it to the nation of Israel and God injected himself into the whole world through a nation of people that he called out that said, you want me and you want to have everything that I am? That's where you got to be. And what happened? In 606 B.C., Israel had went into apostasy. She, too, had rejected the Word of God. She, too, had become the natural man <coughs> in the mindset that God, she had got into everything else <coughs> out there except God. And what happens in 606 B.C. with Nebuchadnezzar and a little bit earlier, <coughs> 721 or so, with, with the Shennacherib king of Assyria, she goes into captivity. Never, 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 to be any force again. <clears throat> and the times of the Gentiles roll in. And you know what the times of the Gentiles are. It's a time when God is not <clears throat> doing anything. Man <clears throat> is running the earth through Babylon, then Persia, then the Greeks, and then finally Rome. And, and what does God do is this thing spirals down into depravity. And all those nations are gone today. I'll tell you what He did. God again injected Himself into this world at the first coming of Christ to fix man's problem by sending us his son. And how did that work out? We killed him and we crucified him. Now the world again is thrown into the darkness. The Roman Catholic Church comes up on the rise and we see the dark ages come in. But one more time, God injects himself into the world. And this time around 1400, 1500, up to 1600, God gives us his word the revelation of God to man through the New Testament local church. And the pure, Proverbs 30, verse 5 and 6, perfect, Psalms 12, 7, word of God, the mind of God now is given to the world. And you and I have it today that because you and I, even though we're saved, we still have an old sin nature and we are under that law of human collapse. You get out of, you know, Pat Arinsky was a great piano player. And he said one time, I was reading some stuff about him because he was a tremendous piano player. And he said one time, if I quit practicing, he practiced eight hours a day. He said, if I give up practice on one day, I can tell it in my playing. He says, if I give up three days in my practice, the music critics can tell it. And if I take off a week or two weeks, everybody can tell it. And I'm telling you, you take time off from the Bible and the Word of God, everybody around you is going to know it in time. We have to keep injecting ourselves with the Word of God. Every day of your life, every day of your life, you need to have that infusion of the Word of God. And, you know, Christianity, the world can't see any of that today. No understanding. They, they look at America from 1700 <clears throat> when they formed a Constitution and moved up through 1776 and up to where we're at today. They look at that and they don't see that the seven great awakenings in this country that God <clears throat> through the last 250 years injected himself in seven great awakenings to keep this country I'm going into apostasy. And every one of those times he injected, it's because the devil moved to bring up something that was going to take Christianity uh, off the grid. And God stepped in and injected himself into this country. And let me tell you something. There'll be more, no more injections. God's done, and, and we're seeing the end of things at this point in time. And God now has turned his attention to the nation of Israel. If you know anything about the Bible at all, we were in it in Matthew chapter 24 yesterday in Bible Institute. How you come away from that and not see where you're at and what's going on, I do not know. The times of the Gentiles are moving off the scenes, and the time of refreshings are about to come in, and it ain't with us. It's the nation of Israel. And then I gave you three warnings in the Bible last week, not to change, not to subtract from the perfect, pure Word of God. And I showed you how that God put three warnings in the Scriptures. One in the beginning of the Bible in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2. One in the middle of your Bible, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5 and 6. That's where we were last week. And then, of course, Revelation chapter 22. And then it also said that if you do, then God will reprove you and you'll be called a liar. You know, a number of years ago, oh, not that really, not long ago, probably before a lot of you were born, 2002, there was a Kansas pharmacist who was convicted. His name was Robert Courtney. And he was a pharmacist over in, in Kansas, and he was convicted and went to prison because he was watering down cancer drugs. People were coming in with cancer, needed to get chemo uh, therapy drugs. And so he could spread it out, which is really expensive, and so he wanted to make more money off of it. So he watered down the drugs without ever telling the patient's. And I don't know how many years he did that, but a lot of people died. Now he finally got busted and uh, got 30 years in prison. You see, people had a disease, and they needed the medicine that was going to give them any hope at all. Now, because this guy selfishly, for the love of money, watered down the drugs all these people died now that's exactly what's happened in New Testament Christianity today we have a disease folks Bible calls it an infirmity it's a spiritual disease and it's terminal three in particular found in Romans 8:26, Romans 6:19 and Psalm 77:10. We don't have time to preach it, but that's a good message if you want to preach it sometime. And because of this terminal disease that we all have, and I don't care if you're saved or not, you still got the disease. It's your flesh. And the word of God is the only medicine that will help you. Word of God in Jeremiah chapter 8 is called the bomb of Gilead. The bomb of Gilead, the bomb was a salve that was made off a particular plant that was found in Gilead, and they used it to <clears throat> put it on wounds or it had a healing agent to it. So the Bible has a healing agent to it. You know, I look back in history, <clears throat> again, chalk it up for the Roman Catholic Church, Back during the time, right after Columbus, you had, you had Magellan, you know, and you had Cortez, and then you had uh, uh, Vasto Vagama, and then you had, uh, you know, Ralph Schwartz and guys like that. But one of them is my favorite is Ponte de Leon. Yes, I can say it like, means, like it means Ponte de Leon. And that poor guy tramped around Florida. In the swamps, but all the bugs and all the snakes and all the mosquitoes. And he was looking for the fountain of youth. Somebody told him that there was a fountain, that if you went to it and you drank from it, that you'd live forever. Now he got some wrong information from his church. At least here I'll give you the right information. You have the fountain of youth and the water of life right here. Now, you drink of this and you'll never die. Right. But old Ponce de Leon, he tromped through the swamps in the Florida down there, you know, looking for, too, too bad he didn't get the Pensacola, Florida. He could have got straightened out. Hey. That was a joke, by the way. <laughs> Word of God is the greatest medicine for our diseases. you know that? You know why we got a lot of <clears throat> midget Christians? Yeah, midget Christians. No, I have nothing against midgets. I preached at a convention of midgets one time. As I told you, I got a standing ovation, didn't even know it. <laughs> but you know, we got a lot of midget Christians, spiritually. You got saved, you never grew. I mean, you, you every church has a, has a nursery in the back, and they usually have one in the search service. And that'll be all for the midget Christians. You never got past a point in your life. Everybody else is growing around you, and there was a deficiency in your growth process spiritually, and you never grew. And you know what you need? You need a growth hormone medicine. And the greatest growth hormone medicine spiritually is the Word of God. You want to grow? Get in that book. It's just that simple. You know, the Word of God is a great antibiotic. There's some things out there that you can catch from other people that are infectious. And it's a thing where, you know, it's a spiritual, uh, it's a spiritual medicine that will, will keep your immune system spiritually up, that will fight off what the world tries to throw at you. And then the Word of God is a great sleeping pill. Some people have a tough time sleeping at night. <clears throat> I had a lady called me. Oh, it's been years ago. <clears throat> she says, "What can I do?" She says, "I can't sleep at night." She says, "I." She laughed and she says, "I tried the proverbial counting sheep. It didn't work." And I said, "Well, I got some news for you. Forget about counting sheep. Why don't you just talk to the shepherd? You want to go? Now this doesn't work for everybody because some of you are so dialed into the Bible that it'll actually keep you awake. But for most of God's people, you want to fall asleep. Just start reading your Bible before you go to bed." That book will put you out so fast because, you know, it's a thing where you're gone, man. <laughs> the Word of God's the greatest anxiety medicine you could ever get. Amen. I mean, they want to put everybody on Prozac and, you know, and Xanax and, uh, you know, all this stuff and, and to try to get them to calm down. You know what? I'll, I'll tell you the greatest anxiety medicine in the world is for turn everything over to God and let Him deal with it. We're to God's great pain medicine. You know, we got an epidemic in this country. We got a lot of epidemic in this country, but prescription drugs. You know, everybody's taking the, you know, the the high end stuff that, you know, and they get hooked on it and and and, and you know, and it's all the painkillers. You know, all the stuff that, uh, you know, that they give you that's pretty powerful stuff, and they get them, and they get hooked on it, and, you know, it becomes a, an addiction to them. I, I'll tell you, the Word of God is the greatest pain medicine you could ever get. And I want to tell you something else. It's okay to get addicted on that one. You know, DePaul did say when he talked about this church over here that they were addicted to the ministry. What's your addiction? The Word of God will cure your alcohol and drug problems. It's just as simple as that. I mean, uh, you know, you find a lot of Christians today that uh, they think that smoking marijuana is okay. You know, they think that uh, it, you know it's a thing where if the if you if you if you inhaled the Word of God as much as you do that smoke, you'd be a genius when it comes to the Word of God. The Word of God will fix your your mental issues. If you're bipolar, I don't. The Bible doesn't care if you were born in the North Pole or South Pole. It doesn't matter. <laughs> It'll fix your problems. Somebody says, well, I'm depressed all the time. Well, look at your life. I would be too. You know, I've never, did you ever, know, you ever notice that in the Bible, there's ne- anybody in the New Testament, whoever was doing what God wants, there's no depression. You know where you get depressed? When you're a saved person and you don't do what God's called you to do and you grieve the Holy Spirit of God, depression is coming your way. Yeah. And you know the cure for depression is found in the Old Testament with Elijah. Of course, you know that. And I'll tell you something else. The Word of God will be the greatest heart medicine you ever need. You know, heart disease is the number one killer in America today. Kills something like 425,000 people a year. That's 1,200 a day. That is so true in a physical sense, but I want to tell you, it's numbers are great better, a lot better, a lot bigger in a spiritual sense because this is where God's people's problem starts with their heart. You know, Christ is called the great physician in Luke chapter 4, verse 23. He demonstrates that in John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. He's the great physician. The Bible is the medicine. The Holy Spirit of God writes the prescription for you. And me as your pastor, I'm just the pharmacist that fills that prescription. Don't you know when you go to the pharmacy and you get your pills, he always says, you have any questions for me? Well, the Word of God's the medicine great physicians, the Holy Spirit or God, the Holy Spirit of God writes the prescription. I'm just a pharmacist that fulfills it for you. Sit down, open the Bible, and says, you have any questions? And you know what you do? You do the same thing I do. One time when I was a kid growing up, 19 or 20, I forget when it was, I had the flu for 128 years. <laughs> I got sick, went to the doctor, strep throat, what it was, went to the doctor, he put me on meds. I took the meds until I started feeling better, then I quit taking them. Then a week later, I was back in the doctor's office again. That's pretty stupid back then, so I took the pills again until I started feeling. Finally, after about three or four rounds, I realized that, uh, um, you know, if you want to get bail, you've got to take all the medicine. But God's people are the same way. You'll get into the Bible till you start feeling better. Then you quit taking the medicine. Any questions? I mean, that's what it is. And you know what? Here it comes with all the doctors today and the PhDs and all the great Bible leaders who hold great doctors of divinity. Uh, I mean, there's so many doctors you'd think that, uh, you know, they could fix a sick Christianity, but they can't because they come to the place where they do the same thing that Courtney did. They get up there in the pulpits and they water down the book that can fix your problems, just like he did. By adding and subtracting and altering the Word of God. You know, the Bible says the Bible's likened to salt, and we are the salt of the earth. And it also says that the salt loses its savor, Matthew 5.13. And that's what's happened today. Salt's a preservative. Salt keeps things from decaying. And the Word of God is a preservative. And the you know, disease of sin and ungodliness and filth have not only taken over the world today, but 99% of Christianity and the salt certainly has lost its savor. And if you don't believe that, just ask yourself, when's the last time you witnessed to somebody about Christ? It's, it's as simple as it is. I mean, it's so clear. And, we, and it's, it's, it's where we're at today. And, you know, the, the problem, salt has lost its savor. And it's lost its savor because of watered-down pastors who pastor watered-down churches who preach watered-down messages from a watered-down Bible. And nobody's getting the real medicine that they need. And I'll tell you something else. Most medicine that does you the best tastes terrible. So the pharmaceutical companies, they sugarcoat it. They put a little coating around it. You can't taste it till you get it down, and then it dissolves in your stomach. But it doesn't matter by then because your stomach can't taste anything. Do you ever accidentally take a pill and bite into it? <laughs> Terrible. I mean, it lasts for hours. I mean, you have to eat everything to try to get it out of your mouth. And it's a thing where the medicine that does that, you, you, get, you get a bad disease and they give you one of those Z-packs or they give you some, some antibiotics and you just chew them down. You're a more man than I ever am. <laughs> but that's so true of life. It's true Christianity. The real medicine that's going to do you the best not only will not always taste the best. Amen. But do you want to fix it or do you want to just go on the way you are? Because I'm a pharmacist. I got the medicine. God will give you the prescription. But I ain't sugarcoating the medicine. If I got to taste it, you got to taste it. Now today... That was just the introduction. We're doing pretty good today. (laughs) It kind of goes together today. We're going to move on in chapter 30, and we're going to develop it around last week and today. That's why I gave you a little in-depth review, because we want to look at this thing, and it's a great chapter. Look at chapter 30, verses 7, 8, and 9. Here's what he says. Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies, give me neither poverty nor riches, feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be fool and deny thee and say, who is the Lord, or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Father, we thank you and praise you for Jesus today. Thank you for what we've heard. Pray you'll weld it together, Lord, with what we're about to say, and we'll give you the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name, for sake we ask it. Amen. Now, verse 7 says, Two things have I required of thee, deny me them not before I die. Now, our guy here, and this will be Egor from last week we saw, who talked about the first six. He continues on here and he asks for two things from God before he dies. And I think they're two of the most incredible, interesting things that you're ever going to do, and certainly the two things we ought to be asking God for. Now, let me say this. Last week, I showed you one aspect how this guy is a picture of somebody who claims to have no knowledge or understanding of God or his son. And I showed you that that's the case of so many people. But there's another aspect to it. And he, he's a picture of the world system. There's no question about that. And God's, or God's people who reject truth, uh, and therefore they get none. We saw that last week. But there's something else here I want you to see. The second thing that he's a picture of, He will also represent the right attitude of heart of any child of God, any pastor, any teacher who believes the Bible is the outer word of God. And that is you always take the position that you don't know anything. A child. Over there in Mark chapter 10, verse 15, Jesus said, Except you come to me as a little child, you have no part of me. When it comes to your learning about God, the dumber you are, the better off you are. Um, we, you know, we had to sell T-shirts back in the back and say, Dumb as a rock, because that's what it takes to really get anywhere with God. You see, it's not your aptitude that determines your altitude with God, but rather your attitude. And that attitude has to be, Lord, I don't know anything. I'm as dumb as a stump. I'm not only, I'm so dumb I don't know anything, I don't suspect anything. And you totally, completely rely on God with a childlike simplicity, a childlike faith, a childlike trust. And believing like any child believes in his innocence, without trying to show God how smart you are, without spending years and years and years in in institutions that only show you and teach you, and when you come out, you got to go back to just being a little child. If you can develop that attitude of God, you know, and we saw Solomon do that last week, or, or, or we talked about it in times past. We saw it in First Kings chapter three. That, you know, Solomon, the great king of Israel, the number one guy in the place, come before God, and he says, Lord, I'm a little child. I'm so stupid, Lord, I don't know when to go in and go out. He said, Lord, I, I need you in everything. And all that he asked for is what you and I should ask for once we understand that the rest of your life. I don't care how old you get. When it comes to God, you're just a child. And you never come to the place that you think you're smarter than God. You never come to the place that you think you're smarter than anybody else out there that teaches the Bible. There a lot of guys do that. And it's a thing where, you know what? We're all just students, and we're all little kids. And we all have to just follow what God says. And there's no room in Christianity for, for guys who think that they're so smart that they hold anything over the common man in the Bible. I'm a child. I don't know how to go out or come in. And then he says, give me like a child. He says, I'm your servant. He wasn't the king. He was, but he wasn't when it came to God. He was the child and he was a servant. How do you look at yourself as you do the ministry for God? He says, all I want is an understanding heart. But he didn't even want that for himself. He says, this is the great people that you've allowed me to be the king over. And I need a heart to discern right from wrong for them. Wow. Nothing for himself. You know what he wanted? He just wanted the truth. That's all he wanted. He wanted the truth. And what follows here in these two things that this guy asked for in Proverbs will be an incredible picture of what you and I as Christians should should really want from God. Verse 8 says, remove far from me vanity and lies. Now that's the first thing he wants out of his life is the system, worldly or Christian, that will be all about vanity and lies. He says, move it far from me, Lord. Just give me the truth. I, I don't want all the fluff. I don't want all the pop and circumstance. I don't want all the break dancing on the stage. I don't want all the lights and all the smoke and all the flashing. I just want the truth. Now, I'll make it easy for you here based on last week in verses 5 and 6. You know, uh, that's every church and every pastor and every Christian who adds and takes from the Word of God. And, uh, and uh, you know, the Bible says that God reproves them and calls them a liar. The book of Ecclesiastes will show us that, uh, you know, man will come up with 30 or 40 different devices to try to get around the Word of God. They're all listed for you. And you'll see it in the political system. The political system will be, you know, politicians talking about taking care of the people, but uh, they're only going to take care of themselves. I mean, uh, Washington is completely broken. Washington is worse than a broken clock, a broken clock right twice a day. They're not. Washington is worse than a blind squirrel. Even a blind squirrel can find a nut every once in a while. They can't find anything. And we're all facing this I told you yesterday in the institute, we're all facing this virus coming up here that they're telling you not to worry about. Let me tell you something. something. You better get it down. I said yesterday, God in the Bible, if you know your Bible, judges apostasy two ways, one with other nations and two with plagues. This country's went way too long throwing God out. and That's just the way it's going to go. Scariest thing is not the disease. The scariest thing is that Washington's going to be in charge of fixing it. They can't even handle the Veterans Administration. Medicare. Are you kidding me? I agree with what President Reagan said years and years ago when he said the most terrible words that you'll ever hear is, Hi, I'm from the federal government. I'm here to help. We're in a mess. So the political system will tell you what they think you want to hear to get elected and do whatever they want to do and forget all about you. But you know what? Christianity is the same way. They talk about taking care of God's people, but in truth, they have nothing to do with them. Why, most of these big megachurches, you couldn't get the pastor's private phone number if your life depended on it. you got to go through his personal secretary, Martin Borman, who will get you in when she sees it and she controls access. You can't just call him up and say, hey, preacher, i got a problem. Hey, can I meet you this week? Oh, no, no, no. you got to go through a structured system because it's a self-serving system. They don't care about your problem at that moment in time. They care about not being disturbed when you're eating dinner or they're doing this or they're doing that. It's completely built on a world system. You see it in Revelation chapter 18 where it talks about, it's talking about Rome there, but it's, it's so true of Christianity. 18 verses 12 through 13. They list, all, they list 27 things that are in the order of importance. And you know what the first one is? Gold. You know what the second one is? Silver. You know what the third one is? Precious stone. You know what the fourth one is? Pearls. And then it goes down through wood and brass and iron. and... and You know what the last thing that they care about is? Souls of men. That'll be the first thing you care about. And this should be the desire of every child of God in America today. Just give me the truth. Give me the truth about God. Remove far from me the vanity and lies that separate from me. And the first thing he tells us is get out of any organization, church, or system that is going to water down the medicine that God has given you and remove far from me vanity and lies. Then the second thing, give me neither poverty nor riches, feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord, or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my god in vain now the first thing he asked for was truth the second thing he asked for is a balance in that truth not rich not poor but to be balanced and in the middle proverbs 11:1 says a false balance is an abomination to the lord but a just weight is his delight now this principle will be a staple of all life i don't care in any country or building a church You're not going to run the country with rich people or poor people. It's going to be the middle class. When these guys are going up for election, they know that that election is going to be won by winning over the middle class. It ain't going to be the rich and it ain't going to be the poor. It's going to be the middle class. And when you build a church, no rich man ever built a church, and poor people can't build it either. It's going to be the middle class. That's how it works. It's just that simple. And the food, feed me with convenient food. The food he desires will be the food... That is convenient for him. That'll be God's word, and God made the book real convenient for us. He brought it right to us. The word of God will meet his needs. Philippians 4:19. It'll take care of all his issues. First Peter chapter five verse seven, and give him uh, that balance of First Timothy six six that godliness with contentment is great gain. It'll give him the contentment in the balance, and without a doubt, keeping that balance will be the hardest thing that we'll ever do. I've always amazed the guys that can take six plates on a stick and keep them all turning and hold them up or the guy that can do twin balls and keep throwing them up and catching them. It's incredible stuff, but that's what the Christian life is. It's balancing a lot of things at the same time. You know, in the Bible, the number three will be the complete balance concept. Everything has to have three parts to it. And a balance is a three-point position. Think of the teeter-totter we used to do years ago. You have a point in the middle, and you have two people on each end, and the key is to teeter-totter back and forth, but it's a balance. If you get somebody real heavy on one side, you're up in the air all day. If you're equally, you you balance back and forth, and the key is to get you there where you can just stay like that, and then you've accomplished something. But balance in the Bible is everything. And God has built the Bible in a systematic way to give you a balance in every aspect of the Christian life. I mean, you take the Bible. In the Old Testament, if you want a balance in the Bible, then you realize that the Bible in the Old Testament is built around the law, the writings, and the prophets. There's your three balances. In the New Testament, it's the gospel, Acts, and the epistles. It's just that simple you know in the, you want to balance in your christian life and everyday walk with god for second corinthians chapter 13 says that we're examining ourselves know your own self and approve your own self there's your balance you know first timothy chapter 4 verse 13 says give attendance you want to balance in what you do with the bible it says read the word of god exhort the word of god and know the word of god that's the balance you you read it you put it out and you learn the doctrine that's the balance I mean it's just that simple. You want to study Christ and get a balance of who he is. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a balance. If you just study one of those, you'll never get the whole balance of him. He he holds three offices: priest, prophet, and king. That's the balance. He's called the son of man, son of God, the son of David. That's a balance. There's three days in the Bible that balance your whole perspective out. You got the day of your salvation, you got the day of the Lord, and you got the day of Jesus Christ. Three. It's a balance. Everything's a balance. You want a balance in your in your completeness uh, as a a Christian? Okay. And you want to to have the confidence in what you do, then you gotta be sure. And the balance for you confidence is three things: a sure word, a sure calling. And a sure reward. It's just three. A couple of weeks ago, I gave you Joshua chapter one on courage courage to believe the book, courage to obey the book, courage to rest in the book. There's three. Now, when you got saved, you want to be a balance in your life as far as your salvation. The Bible, when you got saved, changed you in three ways it changed the inner man, which will change the outer man, which ultimately changed the end of man. It's a balance. The Christian life is inward, Godward, outward. That's the balance. You want to study the Holy Spirit of God? You study Him in three ways. You study His work, you study the person, and you study the indwelling. That's the balance. Well, I've told you a thousand times the Bible has three applications, the historical, <clears throat> inspirational, doctrinal. That's the balance of it. I've told you before, the Bible was written to three people groups. You want the balance, it's written to the Jew, the Gentiles, and the church. There's three states of the Christian after you get saved, and all of these form the balance. It's the you're saved, you're sealed, and you're separated. When you are complete and you're saved, you, you have a body, soul, and spirit. That's your balance. When you get saved and you start to grow in the Word of God, the balanced Christian life, when the Bible will get into your life, you'll get rooted in it, you'll get built up in it, and you'll get established by it. That's your balance. In the book of Proverbs, we've seen it as we come through, it'll give you the balance, it'll give you knowledge, it'll give you wisdom, and it'll give you understanding. And a healthy Christian will have a balance in three areas of their life. They'll have a healthy spiritual life, a healthy physical life, and a healthy mental life. Balance. And in the ministry, the child of God, to be balanced should be three things. He should be faithful in the ministry, he should be fearless in the ministry, and he should be fervent in the ministry. There it is. Just a balance. And the balanced Christian life and relationship with God and His Word will be based on the balance of just three areas. I've given it to you many, many times. Faith, fact, and feeling. Your faith, but what's your faith in? The facts, the truth. And that produces the right feeling. Now, I could go on all day. I mean, those are great little devotions if you ever want to use them in softball or volleyball, but they're great sermons you can develop too. But I could take you through all day long with those after time because the Christian life, the Bible, and everything about it comes back to a balance. So this guy wants just two things, and so should every one of us today. Number one, he wants truth. He wants away from the vanity and lies and he wants just the truth of God's word and then he wants a solid balance in that truth. And every Christian in this room this morning and every Christian in the world today should want the same two things. Away from the vanity and lies and a solid good biblical balance in our lives that keeps us where God wants us to be. Well, we'll hold up there and uh, we'll be dismissed here in just a second. If you're going to help Danny and Jamie move, make